Do you need help protecting your finances as you enter retirement? David Dickens of KC Financial Advisors has got you covered. Welcome to the Cover Your Assets KC podcast. It's another Cover Your Assets KC podcast. Walter Storholt alongside David Dickens, President and Wealth Advisor at KC Financial Advisors, serving you in Kansas City with an office in Overland Park. And you can find us online and listen to past episodes of the show and much more by going to CoverYourAssetsKC.com. We're talking about risk on today's show. Dave, do you consider yourself sort of a uh, risky person? (laughs) Well, yeah, because (laughs) risk and reward, you know, so it's a matter of figuring out how much risk do I want to take? For I the, guess you're, for you're, the, you're not a risky person. That was that was poorly phrased. There, there's nothing. You're, you're you're not risky, but are you are you a risk taker? Is a, I guess the more appropriate way to ask that question. Yeah. So okay. you know, it, differentiating is super important. So with COVID thing, we are not risk takers. My wife and I and kids, we are not risk takers. Uh, but with uh, with my money, I tend to be one of my higher risk clients. Frankly, I'm my highest risk client because I think I'm pretty good at it. I think I understand what I'm about. And, um, and, and my job is to make sure that I don't put that uh, risk temperament on all the rest of my clients. So in different parts of my life, I'm a much bigger risk taker than in others. I'll bet that's the same with you, Walter. Yeah, I think so. Uh, I'm like not a big risk taker in the fact that I'm not going to go skydiving, you know, like, Maybe when I'm 90, I'll be happy to then take that risk. But for now, I'll probably skip skydiving for a little while. But uh, but there's other things where I'm willing to, you know, roll the dice on and, you know, be a little bit more aggressive. So, yeah, I, I think everybody can probably identify with being able to identify areas of their life where they take on more risk versus another. I guess it's kind of the same way in finances, Dave. When you analyze somebody's financial plan, you're going to be doing the same thing. Just like in life, you're kind of evaluating all sorts of different risks that people might be exposed to. And you probably see all the time where people are maybe more risky than they think in one area and then maybe less risky than they intended to be in another area. Absolutely. That happens all the time. And some of the risks we're going to talk about today are kind of hidden. When people come in, they're not really thinking about two or three of these. A couple of them are super obvious, but the others are like, well, I hadn't really thought about that. And so what we're going to try to do is cover, uh, you know, there's always more <laughs> risk and we're not going to talk about every single possible thing, but uh, we're going to try to cover a fairly wide landscape. And hopefully as a listener today, you might say, oh, you know what? I hadn't really thought about that. How am I going to work that into my plan for me? And that's my goal today is to try to bring something to light that maybe you hadn't thought about. We find that these risks, even though there are many we could talk about, as David mentioned, uh, these risks are at least most important to make sure that we're covering these first. Uh, they, they pop up in financial and retirement plans pretty much every time, and that's why we want to make sure that they're talked about and addressed right off the bat. And then, you know, in your own situation, we might get into additional risks that we need to discuss and get into. So let's start with the obvious one, David, the one that I think everybody could probably figure out uh, what it means, what it is, and what it looks like to be risky. Uh, market risk. Uh, this is the stock market goes up and down, and that's the risk, right? Exactly. And so that causes your your 401k balance, or your IRA balance, or your brokerage account balance to either go up. And everybody's pretty good, pretty good when it goes up. But people tend to really, really hate it when it goes down. So that's the emotional component to your retirement planning and to your wealth accumulation. Those emotional swings cause us, cause the vast majority of people to do the exact opposite of what they say they're going to do. So 
everybody knows, everybody listening to this podcast probably knows that the stock market corrects or goes down 10 or 12 or 15% every year. It just happens and it's not, it's not necessarily caused by anything that's real, but those are just run-of-the-mill drops in the market. And they're, they're typically no big deal because intuitively we know that's going to happen. However, uh, and so I, I talk to clients and say, you know, we're going to have at some point a 10% correction this year. I'll bet I have said that 50 times over the last two weeks in phone calls and meetings with clients. And everybody goes, yep, but when your million dollar IRA, you look at your statement and it says you're down $100,000, <laughs> well, that's 10%. Gulp. <laughs> but 10% but, but sounds pretty manageable. But when you look at your statement and you had it in your brain that you had a million dollar IRA and now all of a sudden it's 900,000, that's when your emotion really starts working on you. And then you lose another 20 or another 40,000 because the market was down 12 or 14%. And that creates fear and emotion and usually bad emotion. So, you know, maybe your account is only $500,000, but if it drops by 50,000, that's a big number to you. So it's all about you and how you're going to react to the negative news because everybody reacts well to positive news. What do you do about it? Well, what I try to help my clients understand is that you just need to expect for the money that you have in the market, and chances are every 401k statement I have ever seen almost exclusively had way more stock exposure than the person across the desk from me thought it did. So you should expect that the next time the market goes down 10 or 12%, you're gonna have a fairly significant drawdown, a reduction in the value of that account. And that's just normal. And if you're 35 years old or 45 or 50, you gotta understand that's not a horrible thing because the money you're putting in every two weeks gets invested at lower and lower cost. But if you're 60 or 65, it's gonna create an emotional response that says, oh my gosh, I have to do something. So what you want to make sure is, first of all, that you would know that that's coming. And second of all, that you size the risk you have to your emotional reaction, how you know you're going to react to this. Uh, and that changes typically if you're the closer you are to retirement. So a little bit of preparation will go a long way for helping you understand your emotions the next time the market loses 10%. It's a great point. And so much of market risk isn't about the risk itself. It's about the expectations um, and, and making sure that where you think you are, how risky you think you are, matches up with how risky you actually can handle and matches up with how risky you actually are in the plan. It's like there's three different layers you've got to work through in terms of analyzing somebody's market risk, right, David? It is. And when I get disturbed calls during market downturns, it's usually because I didn't understand that person's, how they were going to react well enough, or they pretended like they were somebody different. And so my biggest job, if you don't work in with an advisor, then your biggest job is to truly understand how are you going to react when the stuff's hitting the fan so that you don't do something emotionally that you, that you really didn't plan to do. It's a hard balance, but it's super important because those downturns happen all the time. Great points. I know we could stretch a conversation about market risk into an entire podcast or probably a couple of shows, but uh, to keep things moving on today's show, let's move on to another type of risk. This is one that's intriguing based on where things have been for now the last several years, David. We all hear about interest rates being low 
and there is an interest rate risk that's involved and present in a lot of financial plans. Can you educate us a little bit about what interest rate risk looks like, where we stand on that now, and, and what can be done to make sure that we're properly set up to handle that risk? Sure. I think um, once you understand what interest rate risk is, then you'll have a whole lot better feel for how much of it you have in your financial life. So for instance, the way that people like me measure interest rate risk is something called duration. You don't need to know you don't need to know how to calculate it, but a general understanding of it is super important. It's a calculation, a fairly complex calculation of how much a bond price will rise or fall for each 1% increase in interest rates. So for instance, right now, let's say the 10-year treasury is yielding about 1%, which it is. If interest rates go to 2%, what happens to the value, the market value of that bond that I own? So you could look online and find the duration of any bond that you own, but more than likely you own a bond mutual fund or a bond ETF, and you can find a duration of that too. So the duration, the interest rate risk of a two-year corporate bond is about 2%. So if interest rates go from 1% to 2%, your two-year corporate bond is going to fall in value by about 2%. But your 20-year corporate bond is going to fall by 17% because it has more interest rate risk. The longer the maturity, the more interest rate risk you have. So what you want to make sure is rates are dramatically historically low right now, and they could go lower, but the probability is they go a little bit higher from here, maybe a bunch higher from here if inflation comes back. And so what you want to make sure is the bonds you have in your portfolio don't have a bunch of interest rate risk. In other words, they have pretty low short maturities, pretty low duration. Interest rate risk can also super help you when the rates rise. If, for instance, this is a totally different look at it, but let's say you have a fixed rate mortgage and your fixed rate mortgage is at uh, two and three quarters right now or 3% and rates go up to 5% if you wanted to go get a new mortgage. But you don't have to go get a new mortgage because you have a 30-year fixed rate at 3%. Now, you're not going to sell that mortgage, but all of a sudden it's become a lot more valuable because you own it at 3% and a new one would go at 5%. Who's disappointed in that situation? The lender or the investor who bought that loan from the lender because all of a sudden they can go out and make new loans at 5%, but they're stuck with your mortgage at 3%. They took on the interest rate risk and in a rising rate environment, they're not that happy about it. That is a big one because I know a lot of people when uh, the interest rate is low, you kind of get this good feeling if you want to borrow money, but then you look at your savings and you wish it was making a little bit more. We, we yearn for the days where CD rates were you know, in double digits, David. I don't know if we're going to ever get back to that. It might take quite some time. Um, all, <laughs> all those things are relative. A though, very but... <laughs> long time. Can you imagine, this is, a, this is a bit of a rabbit trail, but can you imagine what the interest cost on the $30 trillion we have of national debt, if interest rates went back to where they were in 2007, because they were three or four times higher just 12 years ago than they are today, if, if you put that over $30 trillion of debt, all of a sudden our national picture, financial picture, looks a lot different. 
So we got to really be careful. Of, when I hear people say, well, you know, a little inflation would be good, a little bit of interest rate risk would be good. Well, not for the American taxpayer. Not until we get our house in order, right? <laughs> Which doesn't look like it's coming down the pike anytime soon. Yep, very true, very true. All right, so market risk, interest rate risk, two biggies already, and you kind of already started to hint there at the third one um, that we wanted to talk about on today's show, inflation risk. Um, this is uh, the silent killer of the financial world, I've heard it termed as. Well, I, I like that. I don't know that I've ever said that, but I really like that. It's It becomes really visible in our planning process. So historically, the stuff that we buy as Americans, it kind of goes up by about 2 or 3% a year. And that includes things like milk and cheese and bread, but it also includes, at a, at a faster pace, our health care and long-term care expenses. But our retirement income, Social Security, pension, your pension is highly likely that it never goes up. Whatever you got when you were retired at 65 is the same dollar amount you get when you're 75, yet the stuff you buy costs more. And Social Security has a little cost of living increase, but anybody on Social Security knows, wow, I haven't gotten much of an increase over the last 10 years. But the stuff you buy keeps going up. Two and a half percent inflation. That's kind of splitting the difference between two to three percent a year. What that really means for the stuff we buy is that that stuff will have doubled in price in 28 years. If inflation is three percent, then that stuff we buy will have doubled in cost every 24 years. And if inflation happens to perk up and we have four percent inflation, that means that stuff will double in value every 18 years, not double in value, it'll double in cost. Well, if your income in retirement isn't going up, but the costs of the stuff you buy is going up, that can create a problem. That's why your plan has to um, account for that. So what we're, what we're trying to do with each of these is finish up with, well, what do you do about it? And so the first thing you would do about inflation risk is to make sure that that's included in your written plan and that you do some what ifs to say, well, do I still have money left over at age 99 if inflation was this or if healthcare, long-term care inflation was that? Another thing you ought to look at is, let's say you're lucky enough to have a pension at your work and you're getting ready to retire. Uh, Should you take the monthly pension amount, which is, unless you're a Missouri teacher, is very unlikely to ever go up year over year. It's just going to be the same. Should I do that, or should I take the lump sum, roll it over into an IRA, and manage that myself, and pay myself that increasing value? So that's a a question that you might not want to uh, try to figure out yourself. You might want to talk to someone in my business to make sure that that makes sense for the way you run your life and the, the amount of risk you want to take as far as running out of money. But that's super important decision that you get to make. And then lastly, I think, what can you do about inflation risk? Well, maybe you do have too many bonds in your portfolio because bonds are super low yielding right now. They're super conservative. And what I think we're going to have to have over the next 10 or 20 years as a 65-year-old becomes 75 and becomes 85 is you're going to need to have some inflation risk built in. And that's a growth component. And that growth component is going to come from taking on a little bit more market risk in other words, stock investments, and maybe a little bit less bond exposure. 
A lot of different ways to attack that problem, and you've got to find one that fits you, the size of your nest egg, your age, and your temperament. That'll be very helpful in trying to evaluate inflation risk and figure all that out and make sure it doesn't creep up on you. Make sure you have a plan for it. Just like all of these, you need a plan to address these different risks. All right, David, we get to uh, one that I'm sure is your favorite, tax rate risk. We get to talk <laughs> about taxes. <laughs> you you know I'm going to talk about Roth conversions here, don't you, Walter? David, you know, if you're going to talk about Roth conversions, then I might as well play the new feature that we have here on the show. Yeah, let's go. R-O-T-H. Roth, Roth, Roth. That's uh, wow. our, our new chant to lead the way here on the show in the in the future. It's 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 shaped after the old uh, you know J E T S Jets Jets Jets, <laughs> but we'll we'll go with R O T H Roth 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 on today. That was show. stunning. <laughs> in fact, I'm stunned right now. <laughs> I'm gonna have that queued up every show. So we bring up Roth Roth IRAs. Boom! That come in comes the sounders. <laughs> well, they do seem to come up every show, so I'll look forward to that. <clears throat> so <laughs> tax rate risk. Most people listening to these podcasts know that tax rates are historically low. I've mentioned in prior podcasts that in the 1960s, tax rates across the board, everybody, they were at least double what they are today. So there's reasonably recent precedent for higher, and in some cases, much higher tax rates. You probably know that in January of 2026, if Congress does nothing, the tax cuts for individuals, the the lowering of the rates, those expire, and we go back to where they were about five years ago. We have a new Congress. Who knows what tax rates are going to be two or three years from now, regardless of what happens to the Trump tax cuts. So those are all things we really don't know about. Here's one thing we know for sure about. I don't think you would, if you Google this term, you're not, I just thought it up. So you're not going to, I don't think you would find it, but I'm going to call it the widow's penalty. Men tend to die first. But if your wife dies first, then it's the widower's penalty. But here's what that means. If you're married filing joint and you guys make about 81 grand of taxable income, then you're in the 12% tax bracket. But once you're widowed and filing single, that same $81,000 of income is not in the 12% bracket. It's in the 22% bracket. Congress didn't have to do anything. You just went from being married filing joint to single. And that is very likely going to happen to every married couple in America, unless you happen to get, you know, go down in the same airplane or something horrible like that happens. Typically, one spouse is going to be left behind, and their tax rate is absolutely positively going up because the, that's the way our tax schedule works in America. The other thing is the better you've done for yourself over the years, you have these things called required minimum distributions. Now, when you're 72 years old, and when your spouse dies, his or her IRA rolls into yours. You'll do a spousal rollover. The amount you have to take out as a single person does not go down. It stays the same because your IRA just got a lot bigger because your spouse has got rolled into it. So your required distributions are not going to slow down. You might, once your spouse dies, you'll only have one Social Security payment. You might have lost or taken a, a reduction in a pension, but your required distribution is going to be the same. And the better you've done for yourself in your working life, that's going to be the problem that is going to kick you up into maybe even a higher tax bracket. So what do you do? Well, <laughs> one thing you can do 
is looking forward to that day, you can do Roth conversions now at, for instance, that 12% tax bracket, knowing that once one of you dies, that remaining spouse is going to be in the 22% bracket. You can pay those Roth conversion dollars now at 12% instead of having required distributions come out later at 22%. If you're young, 20s, 30s, maybe 40s, instead of putting money into your 401k at work or your IRA, if your employer doesn't offer a 401k, you can put money into a, most employers these days offer a Roth 401k. And you can always open up a Roth IRA on your own. And so contributing to a Roth now means you'll have less tax deferred money when you get to retirement. And then thirdly, what can you do about tax and tax rate? Well, there are certain life insurance strategies. Once you're in your 80s, they don't, it's almost impossible to make them work. But when you're in 60s and early to mid 70s, you can make some of these life insurance strategies work for a reinvestment vehicle for your required minimum distributions. It's something you want to talk to a qualified advisor about. You'll want to look at the numbers real hard. But I've got a number of clients that have made this work. They say, you know what? I don't even need that required distribution. What do I do with it? Instead of putting it into a taxable brokerage account, sometimes we invest part of that money into a life insurance policy, the premium on which will never rise because, we, because that's the type of policy we wanted. So they know exactly what their heirs are going to get tax-free when they die. So Roth conversions, Roth contributions, certain life strategies, your tax rate may not go up materially because Congress doesn't do it. But when your spouse dies, your tax rate's going up a lot. So everybody, I'm convinced, has tax rate risk. You just want to make sure you're evaluating it. And if you choose to pay less taxes in the future, you got to take some, you got to make some choices now. If one of these risks is uh, universal, uh, certainly tax rate risk has a good argument to make for why everybody's got to keep their eye on that particular one. If you're not in the market, you don't have to worry about market risk so much, right? Um, if you're yep. allocated properly or, or have some other things in place, maybe interest rate isn't as big of a deal or concern to you, but tax rate risk, everybody's going to have to keep their eye on and worry about that one. So four big ones for you on today's show. David, before we run off, are there any other big ones that you think are worth mentioning on the show today? Well, let's see. Maybe one other one. Since most of my clients are over 55, I deal with this all the time, but it's kind of that longevity risk. We're all living longer. Uh, if you get to be 65 and you're male, the stats, the numbers would say you're going to live another 24 years. And if you're 65-year-old female in America, you're going to live another 26 years. So that is a long time and a lot of inflation risk, especially in healthcare, uh, that you might ex be expending and tax rate risk because it's longer for somebody who might be widowed to live in that environment where they're paying single. So it kind of, uh, well, and then it also relates to market risk. We have a major, over history, we've had a major market downturn. 30, 40, 50%, about every 10 years. Well, <laughs> if you're gonna if you're gonna live 30 years in retirement, that's three of these major market downturns you're gonna have to withstand. So longevity risk kind of builds on all the things we just talked about because our medicines are getting better, our operations are getting less invasive, 
And we're just living longer, which means a lot of us are going to spend 20 and 30 and maybe more than 30 years in retirement. Got to have a good plan. And hopefully uh, you've been salting away a lot of money for yourself such that you can make those retirement years happy or happier than the years that preceded. You never thought living a long time would be a bad thing, but if you're not prepared for it, it can turn into that. And we don't want that to be the case. With a good plan, living a long time can be a good thing. And uh, that, that's indeed what we want and what a lot of people uh, will want into the future. David, a lot of wisdom in today's show. This was uh, great to walk through these. And like we said, I know there's a lot of other risks we could explore, but uh, we can save that for when somebody comes in and meets with you one-on-one and you can explore their situation in full and, and look at all the different nuances of a plan. But good starting and launching point today. Yeah, kind of risky for us to do an entire show on risk because, <laughs> you know, it's not something that people really want to focus on until they're right in the middle of it. And the best time to focus on it is before it happens so that you know that you're well protected for whatever risk happens to roll down and and hit you when you're not looking. Good news is you don't have to do it all on your own. If you need some help analyzing all of these risks and looking at them, making sure that you're you know turning all those stones over and looking underneath them for any problems that might exist in your financial plan, David Dickens is there to help with that. You can give David a call by picking up the phone and dialing 913-317-1414 or go online to coveryourassetskc.com and we'll link to uh, the contact info that's important to you in the description of today's show. For David Dickens, I'm Walter Storholt. We'll look forward to talking to you next time right back here on the Cover Your Assets KC Podcast. Investment advisory services offered through Brookstone Capital Management, LLC, BCM, a registered investment advisor. BCM and KC Financial Advisors are independent of each other.